0: What's up to my crossing friends and family, those who are here in person, as well as those who are hanging out with us online. I'm excited and grateful to be here. I bring greetings from your family back in Ferguson at Woke Community Church. Shout out to my beautiful wife of almost 21 years, Tequila, who's here with us today. We couldn't be more grateful for this opportunity To be with you all. Right now, fam, it's okay if I ask you all for about 20, 30 seconds, let's just give God some praise for his goodness and for his mercy, for his grace. What a good and gracious God that we serve. The first African American coach to win the Super Bowl, Hall of Famer Tony Dungy, a man who's known by his faith, his character, and his integrity in the way he led his locker rooms that flowed from his relationship with the Lord at the height of his professional coaching career was hit with an extremely difficult tragedy. His oldest son at the age of 19, by the name of James, took his own life after struggling with mental and emotional illness. Now, I want to check in with you for a second, fam, because I know having conversations around such sensitive subjects can be anxiety-inducing. And I just want to take a moment just to pause, just because I know that someone in the room may be dealing with anxiety and depression of their own, or maybe you're walking with someone who's close to you, someone in your family or a coworker or friend that's struggling right now. And so I just want to acknowledge that and know that that's, this can be very difficult. But let's just look at what Tony Dungy said. Tony Dungy said about his son, James, he said he was a Christian and today he's in heaven. I can remember when I first saw that, saw this, him giving this speech, how I felt so unsettling by, by, that state, by that statement. He wanted to go on to say he was struggling with the things of the world and took his own life. People ask, how could I come back to work so soon? I'm not totally recovered. Tony Dungey would go on to say, I don't know if I ever will be. It's still ever painful. It's definitely been a challenging few years for us. Many people in this room have suffered. Many of you who are watching online have suffered loss of relationships, employment, and some have struggled with your own sense of mental and emotional trauma. And it can be easy for us to become more pessimistic and live a life full of doubt and despair. I found out that uh, the the stats say between 30 and 40 percent of pastors over the last few years have considered walking away from the pastorate. I also read just a few days ago that up to at least 50 or 60 percent of C-suite business leaders are also struggling and are considering walking away from their fields as well. We know it's been a painful time. War in Ukraine, the pandemic, inflation, gas prices, a divided church, a divided country, just to name a few of the things that have caused us so much emotional trauma and so much pain. Today, we're going to be looking at a psalm, Psalm 13, written by David, the king, and he's having his own moment of anxiety, depression, and despair in this, in this psalm. Now, we really don't know exactly the backstory of exactly what's going on. Some theologians believe that this is when David is being pursued by Saul, a man he loved and honored and revered, which would have been extremely painful, and I can get why he feels the way he feels in this song. But others yet believe that it was during the time he was being pursued by his own son, Absalom, who sought to take his life. And I can see how that would be extremely discouraging and anxiety-inducing as well. But today we're going to ask this question. But before we do that, we got to rem- remind ourselves that this broken world, this, the world that we live in, full of this level of depression and anxiety and despair, it is not the way that the Lord intended for it to be. We have to remember that God never intended for us to experience sin, suffering, death, to be a part of our human experience. So as we approach the text today, we're going to be asking this question to frame the rest of our discussion this morning, and it's how do you have hope when God seems distant? There's two observations I want to make from the text. The first one is you you have this kind of hope by having a safe place to struggle and a safe place to be skeptical, and the other is we maintain this hope by having a hope that's rooted in the very character of God. Let me read the text. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? Consider, we see the shift here, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I've prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. There's another shift here for David. In verse five he says, "But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice." In your salvation, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Navigating ways which we hold our honest pain, our honest struggles, our honest skepticisms in tension with a lasting and living hope. So how long? Is the question that David constantly asks. And so we ask the question again How do you have hope when God seems distant? The first observation is by having a safe space to struggle and be skeptical. See, we hear David here is being, pers- he's he's persuaded that God is, is still listening, even though he feels distant, he feels far off. And it seems like this has been happening for far too long. But David still has this, this sense of, of longing and he comes to the Lord in prayer, but he's bringing his honest struggle, his honest skepticism. And we got to remember here that David was a king. He was a person who normally would speak and things would happen. We know from the testimony of, the, of Scripture that David was known as a man after God's own heart. We also know that David was a man that was very victorious in, in war and in battle. And so we see here David, this king, this man, otherwise of influence. We see him being honest about his own emotional and mental deficiencies. We see him being honest about his pain. If you look with me right here in verses number one and two, he says, how long? Four times. He says, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and my sorrow in my heart all day? And how long shall my enemies be exalted over me. So here we see David having this how long moment. And I'm sure there's times in your life when you have your own how long moments. How long, God, will I have to suffer? How long, God, will I continue struggle? How long will I be alone? How long will I be in pain? How long will I be unheard? How long will I be unseen? And here we see the king, he have the same moment, the how long moment. Michael Gonzalez says this, if God is always present and at work, and if God meets us right where we really are, it is vital we make space for grief that is painful. Sometimes that grief is connected to where God is calling us to repent of attitudes or practices that produces death in us and in others. Lament does not feel good. Lament is not the good news. The good news is that God of mercy and justice meets us in our lament. Here we see this author telling us that in the midst of our lament, in the midst of our how-long moments, that God, he's just, he's merciful, he's gracious, and he meets us there. That was an amen moment. Amen to that. (laughs) Woo! But we still ask this question, how do we deal with it? What am I supposed to do? How am I to respond to this real depression, this real anxiety, to these real struggles, these real skepticisms? And if today you're in the room and you're you're struggling with your faith or you're skeptical about the church, I just want you to know if you're watching online, I'm so glad. We're so glad that you're here and we're praying for you. Because we know that this world, this life, it isn't the way that it ought to be. And we all have real how long moments. But what are we supposed to do? One of the things I suggest that we consider doing is to give ourselves permission to be weak. When we give ourselves permission to be weak, we allow for God to be strong for us. Not only do we allow for God to be strong for us, but we also allow others to be strong for us as well. Even though this is an individual lament of David speaking about something he went through personally, it is included in our sacred song book that is supposed to be sung through for the people of God throughout all generations. So we know this is our lament as well. And therefore, not only do we give ourselves permission to be weak so that God can be strong for us, so that others can be strong for us as well. We have to be honest enough with our own selves to be able to name those things, family and even sometimes people that contribute to our struggles. We have to be honest and we have to be able to name them. Not only do we need the safe place to, be, to struggle, not only do we need the safe place to be skeptical, not only do we need for God to be strong and others to be strong for us, but the thing I'm probably most convicted by is to know that there's times in my life where I am not a safe space. I am not a safe space for my wife. There's times when I'm not a safe space for my children. There's times when I am not a safe place for the people who love me and the people who I do life with. And if you're honest, if, if I'm honest, if we're all being honest, that's true for all of us. Sometimes we're just not safe spaces. Not only do we pursue a safe space, but we need to be asking God, maybe today, maybe this week, to ask God to help us be a safe place place, a safe place for people to bring their struggles and their honest skepticisms in our families, in our relationships, at our workplace, where we do play, where we do life, wherever that may happen, to ask God to help us to be a safe place for others as we we reflect his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. Because I know this can be difficult to to see how God is, is at work during some of these most difficult seasons, during the most tragic and traumatic times in your life. And we are asking this question, and it's an honest question. I understand the question. We're asking this question, how long can I deal with this level of, of anxiety? How long can I deal with this depression? How long can I deal with this isolation? How long can I deal with this before I crash and burn? I love what Spurgeon says here, talking about God. He says, when you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. So how do we have a hope when God seems distant? Not only by by just having a safe place to struggle and be skeptical, but also by having a hope that's rooted in God's own character. Our hope that's rooted in God's character. Look how David teaches us by example, how he teaches us to expand our view into the future so that our present struggles won't entirely deprive us of a real lasting hope. Here we see David doing two things. We see him looking back at the rescue story from the people of God, and we also see him looking forward to a future when the redemption of people, all people was going to take place. We see, we see this right here in verses five and six. Uh, we see it. He says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. So here's David having this hope rooted in God's character. He said, I've trusted in your steadfast love. And what he was doing, he was drawn back from the Exodus narrative. In, in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number six, the Lord, the Lord of God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so here we see David drawn back off God's Past performances. But he don't stop there. Not only do we look at what God has done in the past, but then he looks forward and he says, my heart shall rejoice. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, I know that word bountifully is not a word that we use all the time. But here what David is saying is that he is trusting in the very, character for, the very character of God who is dealing bountifully with him. He knows that God would repay him out of the bounty of his goodness and grace. Not repaying David, not repaying you, not repaying me for our own good deeds or our own good character. But he's repaying us out of his grace and out of his rich. Mercy. Katie Davis Major says this. When we cannot find joy in our circumstances, we can find joy in God who is unchanged and unchanging. We can rejoice not in what's going on around or within us, but because God is our strength and he will continue to be. That's an amen point there, (laughs) fam. But what are we to do? We are to do just what David did. We're encouraged. We're invited. This text helps. It reminds us that we too are to look back. As David looked back at the rescue story, we are called to look back at the cross where Jesus died a death that he did not deserve so that you and so that I could live a life that we don't deserve. We look back at the cross on Calvary's Hill where Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Not only do we do that, but we look forward as well. We look forward to the restoration of all things. We look forward to the time when Jesus will wipe away every tear. We look forward to the time when Jesus restores all things, and there will be no more sickness. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more depression. There will be no more pandemics. There will be no more inflation. There will be no more death. We look back at the cross, and we look forward to the restoration of all things because we know that we have a God who is going to make all things new including you, including me. One of my favorite theologians, Dr. King, a man who who knew what it was like to be depressed, to suffer anxiety, to suffer loneliness, to look out into a world that was unjust, to look out to a world where he felt like he was oppressed, to look out into a world that was full of brokenness. We know this is a man who had his own how long moments with God. But look at what he said in the midst of everything he was dealing with, in the midst of carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. This is what he said. He says, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite. Hope, and so Dr. King knew that he he knew that we were going to need this safe place to struggle, this safe place to be skeptical, and he knew that we were going to have to have this infinite hope, this is a hope in god's very own character, a God that's gracious, a God that's merciful, a God that's holy, a God that's just, a God that we can trust with all of our lives, even the parts that are most difficult, even the parts that are most discouraging. We spoke earlier about Tony Dungy and the tragic loss of his son, when he took his own life at the height of his professional football coaching career. In that same speech, Dungey would go on to say, many people had come to him since then and had told him about how him sharing his story helped them to pursue and receive the care, the help that they needed. They were able to look at how he dealt with this tragic moment, how he dealt with his how long moment, and and how he maintained hope, and it gave them hope. He also spoke of two individuals who received his son's eyes, who were blind, who now have sight. And he went on to say that if God had come to him, and God had said to him, Tony, through your suffering, Many people will be healed. Many people will have hope. People will be able to deal with depression and anxiety like your son did. As a matter of fact, there's even going to be people who are blind that will receive sight. All you have to do is allow for me to take your son, one of three. Tony said, I would have said no. And as a parent, I would say no. And if you're honest, you would say no as well. But Tony Dungeon goes on to say something that just blows my mind. And he says, but that is exactly what our heavenly father did. He gave his only begotten son so that we wouldn't have to struggle with depression and anxiety forever. So that we wouldn't have to struggle with this pain and so that people would have hope and people would be healed and the blind would receive sight. He gave his son on the cross at Calvary to die a death that he didn't deserve, so for we to live a life that we don't. So, how do we have hope when God seems distant? By having a safe place to struggle and to be skeptical and having a hope that's rooted in God's character. Family, we out of time. Lord bless you.